Thank you, Hope Kids workers, each and every week, pouring into our children. And as we are um, having the kids head out, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We've been going through Ephesians for several months, and we are on Ephesians chapter 6, but we're kind of pushing the pause a little bit this week to kind of dig into that idea of spiritual warfare a little bit more. And, uh, and because we've, we basically, two weeks ago, Samuel preached, and he was talking from earlier in Ephesians 6, starting at verse 10, we're talking about knowing your enemy, who Satan is. Uh, then last week, I talked about kind of knowing the armament in this sense of the, the battle and spiritual warfare. And then today, we're going to get really practical speaking about knowing the battle. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says this, it's 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the, that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever." Friends, as we study spiritual warfare, I'm not doing an expository verse-by-verse -verse message through 1 Peter 5. We're going to cover a lot of verses today. So this is a little unusual message for our normal diet verse-by-verse -verse through a passage of Scripture. But as we come to spiritual warfare, we need to understand that, that there are different temptations. Some overemphasize satanic attack and spiritual warfare. Some underemphasize demonic activity. Friends, we know we battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. C.S. Lewis said this in a famous quote from Screwtape, Screwtape Letters. He says this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. The devils themselves are equally pleased by both errors. And hail a materialist and a magician with the same delight. So friends, we've got to know which way we fall on this. Are we tempted toward overemphasis or are we tempted toward underemphasis because the demonic would love either one? But what we want to be is thoroughly biblical. So we're going to look at several passages as we go today. Now as I've studied this area um, one of the common themes I've read in different materials going and, and studying about spiritual warfare is that oftentimes in, in Western culture, there's a person, a, a leader, a, a theologian, a, a scholar, a pastor, whoever, a, a Christian, who like this is kind of on the periphery. They're not thinking a lot about it. And then a, a dramatic experience happens and like puts spiritual warfare, demonic activity more on their 
radar. I read about one British pastor who in the middle of his sermon, he was talking about uh, Jesus as king, and all of a sudden there was a piercing shriek in the congregation. A lady on the front row threw her arms up, slumped in the floor, withered and moaned, and the pastor, along with many godly people in the congregation, immediately gathered around her, identified the shriek as demonic, said, you spirit that's in this woman, what is your name? And the spirit in a masculine, gruffy voice said, my name is Lies. And many in the congregation freaked out. Friends, what, what would you do if that happened? Like, now. Like, how would you handle that? Here's kind of the overarching theme today. As we biblically understand the spiritual realm, we will increasingly have courage to fight the enemy, trust in the power of Jesus' name, and be more discerning of evil influences around us. In studying spiritual warfare over the last several years, I've just had lots of questions. So I'm just going to walk you through some questions. Maybe they're the same ones you have. Maybe they're different. Question number one is this. Is spiritual warfare around today? I was answering some of this. Uh, uh, Samuel was answering some of this two weeks ago. I was answering some of this last week. But I think because we don't have the same people every week, we have guests and stuff, I want to not assume too much. This is a question we have to wrestle with. When we read the New Testament, especially the Gospels, we often find a lot of references to the demonic. And we got to say, well, is that just in the first century? I mentioned last week, Mark chapter 1, where all these people are bringing their, their demonically possessed relatives and friends to Jesus. And it like, didn't seem that big a deal that everybody kind of knew what was going on there. And it was a little scary if you think about it, at nighttime, bringing lots of demon-possessed people. So the entire city goes to Jesus. Seemed to be a category in first century Palestine. We've got to understand Satan has two main goals. First is to thwart God's plan, which is to establish Jesus' kingdom and receive worship and gather God's people to himself. So Satan wants to thwart God's plan. And secondly, Satan wants to destroy God's people, those made in his image. That's really what Satan slithers toward Eve in the garden, and he's trying to do, thwart God's plan and destroy those made in God's image. So where do we see Throughout Scripture, I'm just going to bullet point several different passages. Obviously, Genesis chapter 3, we say, see Satan starting his attack. In Job 1 and 2, we see that Satan is the deceiver, the, the adversary, and he's going to and fro on earth is what it says. In the New Testament, Satan is found as he tempts Jesus. Satan is in the empty religion of the Pharisees. Jesus even says, you are of your father, the devil. We find Satan in Peter's opposition to the cross. Get behind me, Satan. And we find him entering the heart of Judas to betray the Messiah. We find him in the, the schemes of the devil, Ephesians 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And we find him in opposition to pastors in 1 Timothy 3. They can become puffed up and fall into the condemnation of the devil. What we just read in 1 Peter 5, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan is still around today, and there's no scriptural context that says that he is not. But Satan has been given a decisive blow at the cross of Christ. Just as Jesus has an already not yet kingdom, 
His kingdom has come, yet it's not fully known. Satan has received an already not yet defeat. Where do I get that? Well, Colossians 2 speaks, at the cross, Jesus disarmed principalities, powers, that he made a public spectacle over them by triumphing over them in him. But then Romans 16 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So Satan has received a decisive blow. He's, he's like bleeding out, but he's not fully dead. Brian Borgman, in a good little booklet called Spiritual Warfare, says this. We've been delivered from Satan's dominion through the finished work of Christ, yet we still battle. Because he's still battling. He's still shooting his arrows, as Ephesians chapter 6. He still prowls around, as 1 Peter 5 says. And he opposes Christ's people. He opposes the church. So spiritual warfare does exist today, but we may ask, well, where did it go? If it only takes these dramatic things for us to understand, I think even asking where did it go is a very Western way of approaching this in our views and culture, assuming our views in our culture are what is experienced around the world. If you go into a culture that there's uh, dramatic spiritism or even Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam, like you don't have Christians in those areas that are like arguing against spiritual warfare being around. It, our brothers and sisters in Africa, in Asia, South America, they're not questioning this. In our Western mindset, I think honestly we are blind. How clever of the devil to be able to further his mission by having Christ's church be blind. Where our Western culture says, well, that's maybe a psychological problem or a chemical imbalance or a product of the environment or some other excuse that we can somehow rationalize this sort of odd thing going on. What if there's more demonic activity than we think? Yeah, I think, it, I think it's odd where tongue-in-cheek people say they have to battle their personal demons when they're talking about addictions and alcoholism or porn addiction or whatever. It's, it's a personal demon that they just have to fight on their own. Well, what, what if it's actually a demon? Like, what if there's actually spiritual warfare going on? Friends, there is spiritual warfare Ukraine did not have to declare war to be at war with Russia. They could act like nothing was going on, living life as normal. Friends, we can act like this isn't happening, but that doesn't mean anything less than it being around us, that it's happening, that arrows are being shot, that Satan is prowling around wanting to devour someone. And friends, we can make excuses all the time, but we see marriages blow up. We see church leaders fail. We see massive amounts of gossip and slander and distrust and deconstruction of faith and accusation. And we just think, well, maybe de demons aren't around. Maybe they're all around. If you just start thinking about the evil that goes on. For me, two main experiences awakened me to a few to this a few years ago. I was studying as I was preparing to preach through the gospel of Luke and just seeing all the demonic activity in the gospel of Luke and like, what do I do with this, the discrepancy between what I'm studying, reading, and preaching to my like life? 
which we should do that. If we're reading the Bible and like, okay, how does this line up? My life should be understood by the Word, not imposing my life on the Word. The Word is the primary thing. First experience was one day I was working in my office, my home office, doing sermon prep or emails or something, and I thought of this godly Christian leader that I know, and I just had like this hardness toward him, like just a bitterness toward him. I was like, that's really weird. Like, why do I feel that way? So I was like, he hasn't done anything to him. Like, I don't, I know him, but I don't know him like that well. Like, so it was just kind of this weird thing. And so I just prayed. Like, uh, I know we, we face the world, the flesh, and the devil. I don't think this is worldliness, but it might be the flesh. So I'm repenting of that. Like, Lord, forgive me for, for bitterness or hardness. And it didn't go away. And I was like, that's really strange that that's not gone away. And so, so a few minutes later, I was just like, maybe this is demonic. And so I just prayed just out loud in Jesus' name. If there's an evil spirit go away. And I felt something lift off me. And I was like, oh crap. Like I said, that was kind of my, my, I was like, but then I was like, well, I'm studying in Luke. Like this should be kind of normal. Why is it not normal in my life thinking through that? Why do I, I just talking about the world and the flesh, but not really the devil? Why does it surprise me? Why would it surprise you? My second experience was around the same time, Kristen and I were at some friend's house that are members at the church, and I'm not going to get into detail, but there was uh, a time of prayer over someone, and, and there was just massive amounts of understanding that there was demonic activity going on. Like when you think about demonic activity, like shrieks and blah, 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 like that's what was going on. Like later on the way home, my kids who were upstairs were like, what was going on downstairs? <laughs> like what, what was up with that? And I was like, there, there was something going on. And then out of that, I started reading more, praying about it more, talking to other friends and finding out other people had different experiences. And maybe this isn't something scary to talk about. Maybe this isn't something super odd to talk about. Maybe demonic activity is happening, happening more than we're aware of, or we're afraid to identify the unusual. We're afraid to uh, try to explain the unexplainable. But friends, is it so taboo that we're unwilling to talk about it? Yet I'm concerned that, and I think our elders would be concerned that our church and many other churches have people that are demonically oppressed, or I'd say demonized, and we actually never pray over them in Jesus' name and help free them of demonic attack. So one of our goals this morning is to be aware this is happening. If we read our Bibles correctly, this is happening. Not this may happen, this is happening. I mean, we've had, I had a lady a few weeks ago that said as we were, I think it was during the preaching or during the prayer time, it was the preaching because I wasn't preaching that day, came up for prayer. She's like, as soon as the person that was preaching started preaching, I felt like a wall went up and I couldn't hear the sermon. That was just a few weeks ago in this room. So we're just praying over that lady. So spiritual warfare exists today. Secondly, can a believer be attacked by evil forces like Satan and demons? That's the next question I had as I was exploring. Many people ask, can a believer be, quote, possessed by a demon? The short answer, just a quick answer for you, I would say no. 
Someone sealed by the Spirit cannot be possessed or completely overtaken and controlled by Satan and demons. So I'd be cautious by using that term for Christians, followers of Christ. I think it's unhelpful and gives demons way too much credit. But believers can be oppressed, harassed, attacked by Satan's forces. I think oppression is a little better term. Probably an even better term is demonized or tormented by a demon. But let's give a little clarification about Satan. Sometimes we attribute uh, what God, who God is and his attributes to Satan. So we got to understand this. Satan is not omnipresent. If you're like attacked by Satan, you're the one person at that moment in this world that's attacked by Satan. Now you might be attacked by Satan's forces, principalities, and powers. We read about those, but Satan may be attacking you, but he's in one place at one time. So we've got to be careful to not like overdo who Satan is. Scripture shows that there is attack, and we're regularly dealing with that. We've studied in Ephesians chapter 6, the context that Paul's given is marriage, parenting, what we could call the workplace, and then demonic. Like, like normal life, and then this is where spiritual warfare is in Ephesians chapter 6. We've been saying that over and over each week. This is normal. We've got to also understand that the, the, the demonic activity, there's not like this yin-yang or like if you've watched Star Wars, like, like the forces of balance, of, of darkness and light. Like that's not how this works in the Bible, in real life. No, God is infinitely stronger and more powerful than Satan. Every time Jesus is around the demonic, the demonic are fearful and Jesus is chill. Like that's just kind of how you see it. They're like trying to come at you, like, Jesus, don't, don't cast us out. Oh, can we go into those pigs? Like, they're just trying to figure out what to do right now, and they're freaking out, and Jesus is, is rolling. Like, he's fine. He's like, get out. They go. He's the one in charge. So let's look at some text of Scripture, post-resurrection text, which I would just say is, is the current age we're living in. That's the reason I'm quoting these. And they're teaching doctrine. So... We, will, we love reading narrative of the Gospels and Acts, but we don't want to just pull all the doctrines from, from something that, like Luke, is not exactly trying to teach doctrine. Paul or James or Peter in First Peter, they're actually trying to teach doctrine. So we've got to be careful in how we read our Bibles. James 4, 7 and 8 says this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded." Normal life to James, this is Jesus' brother, by the way, half-brother, is resisting the devil, and he will flee from you. It's also, though, noteworthy that he talks about not just the devil, as we talked about world, flesh, and devil. He talks about the flesh. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So we've got to understand there's a repentance that we need to live by. Or as Martin Luther said, that Christian life is a life of repentance. I just actually heard last night in Romania, Christians, whatever the, the Roma, I don't know Romanian, the word for Christians is repenters. These are the people who repent. These are repenters. So we've got to understand, we are repentant. We're those who need Jesus and we repent, but we also resist 
the devil. Sin is not a minor mistake, friends. It is submission to Satan. Sin, your sin, my sin, is not a minor mistake. It is working for the enemy. The stakes are high. 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, again, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So the devil is active in hunting down someone to devour. Now just think about, remember you're like, if you watch National Geographic, anybody like you love the National Geographic channel and you're like watching the lions prowl around or something, who do the lions go after? They don't go after usually the whole pack. They'll get stampeded. They pick off the people that are, in, or not the people, the hyenas, are, or not hyenas. What do they go after? Gazelle, thank you. Somebody help me out. I haven't watched National Geographic in years. So they go after those that are in the back, those who aren't with everybody else. Friends, we've got to learn your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Peter's talking to people who are suffering. Peter's talking to people who may have a temptation to be like, I'm done. I don't really need you people. I don't need the church. And the temptation is to go off on your own. Friends, do you know when you get picked off? When you stop believing the importance of the brother and sisters in Christ, when you stop being united, as we've studied a ton in Ephesians, there's a vital nature to the local church. Believers, knowing each other and being known, having accountability, having the love and not being easy prey. And friends, I've been a pastor for 21 years. I've seen this over and over and over and over. Those people who start stepping back from community, stepping back from accountability, stepping back and gone. And we're running after them because that's what shepherds are supposed to do. And you're pleading with them but they've distanced themselves and they are easy prey. Friends, this has to be a category for us. It's the reason I started with 1 Peter 5. Like this is a massive text for us to understand when we talk about spiritual warfare. Ephesians 4, 26, 27, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Get this, and give no opportunity to the devil. So our anger, our sinful flesh can give an opportunity for Satan to work. Satan wants to destroy us. He wants to use our sin struggles to further his mission. And it should not surprise us, friends, that Satan knows our weaknesses. It should not surprise us that the day you get in a fight with your spouse is the same day that you get a Facebook request from your ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend. Like, don't, like, that's not just like, wow, huh. Or that advertisement on the road goes up, and you're like, good night. That's way more tempting today than it would have been. Satan and the demonic have, have had thousands of years to study humanity. Do you not think they know your weaknesses when you don't get good sleep, when you are struggling with your spouse or kids or work or, 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 or? Friends, we must be aware of our temptations, and we must depend on God. What we've been studying in Ephesians chapter 6, I want to read this passage again. It says this. This is so clear. 
Finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Friends, we saw last week that this is the the you. The you here is plural. You all put on the armor of God. It's not just you individually, though that's true, but we, that's part of the not getting picked off. We, the church, have the armor of God. Talks about the schemes of the devil. It talks about the arrows of attack. It talks about the realness of the fight, but also the realness of the armor. What we saw last week was the armor is a borrowed armor. It's a well-worn, battle-tested armor. It was God's armor. It's it's the armor of the Messiah in Isaiah 59. So friends, we really do battle, and we really do have weapons, like word and prayer. Oh, friends, if we really believed in demonic attack, I think it would intensify our use and skill and expertise and frequency of word and prayer. Don't you think so? Like, if you knew today you're going to be shot at, Satan's roaring, there's a one enemy after you, don't you think we would have the armor? Don't you think we would use the weapons? Oh, friends, let us believe the word of God. So does demonic attack still happen today? I believe yes. Does Satan battle against Christians? I believe yes. But friends, like we said last week, we are on offense. Christ is building his church, his church, his armor-born church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. So if Satan still does attack like he did in the New Testament, here's my last question. How should we practically approach spiritual warfare? How should we practically approach spiritual warfare. First, we should realize the power of Jesus' name. Philippians 2 states that the name, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. There's authority, not in your name, in Jesus' name. As uh, Samuel was talking about a couple weeks ago in, in Acts, where those guys try to cast out a demon, and they like get beat up and run away naked. They're like, well, I know who, who Jesus is. I even know who Paul is, the demon says. I don't know who you are. Friends, we have Jesus' name. We've been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus, the beloved Son. The name is not just the title, though it is, of the God-man, but it's the calling upon all who Jesus is, his death. His resurrection, his ascension, his kingly rule, his power. Jesus said in in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. There's a reason we baptize in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, the name of the Spirit, the, the name, the rule of Christ over his people, that we are united to him. Oh, friends, we must understand the power of the name. 
Secondly, we should pray in the name of Jesus against Satan and demons. Acts 16, 18, Paul's greatly annoyed with this demonically possessed little girl. That, and it says that, I think, yeah, look at that. And this she kept doing so many days, Paul having become greatly annoyed. You don't think Paul was a sinner? He was a sinner too. He getting greatly annoyed. This girl's following them around, proclaiming who they are, kind of giving away their identity at the time before they're ready. Greatly annoyed. And he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Jesus, or, uh, Paul calls in the name of Jesus to cast out the demon. I think there's some modeling there. We don't have clearly how we do all this, but there's a calling on not your name, not speaking directly to the demon in every way. No, there's a calling on the authority of Jesus. If Jesus is, is for us, if all authority is his, we should pray in Jesus' name against the demonic. Friends, I think we can fear the demonic instead of being bold in Jesus' name. Isaiah 42 speaks of the Messiah and says, the Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. The NIV says it this way, the Lord will march out like a champion. Like that's your king. You're on his side. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. And with a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. The more I've read and studied about spiritual warfare, the more I'm convinced that disciples of Jesus have access and power in Jesus' name. That we don't need to fear the demonic. The demonic fears the people who are praying in Jesus' name. The, the demonic fear Jesus. We are the hands and feet. When Jesus says in Luke 4 that he, he's to he proclaims liberty to the captive, those who are oppressed. Friends, we walk out that ministry of Jesus. Third, we should be aware that there's more demonic activity going on than we often think. We want to be discerning people about this category. And I'll just say, as, as God's been teaching the Seaver household, like this, at least in our house, maybe we're attacked more than other people, but like, this being around is more common than I would have thought. I mean, like a few weeks ago, praying over one of my young daughters, and like she's clenched over like this, and I'm just praying over her like, this feels weird. And as I'm praying over her, she starts gagging. Like, in Jesus' name, if there's a demonic spirit tormenting my daughter, go away in Jesus' name, and she relaxes. I'm like, okay. Don't know what all to do with that, but I know that Jesus is in control. Friends, the amount of time Christians had to go into my daughter's rooms and just pray over their rooms as they're falling asleep because they're struggling and scared. Like, this should be normal parenting that, that, that the unbelievers in our house are being tormented or attacked, and you're a believing parent? How would you attack your family? You see over and over and over and over in the New Testament that kids are attacked. Should that surprise us? I think it surprises us. Well, he, surely Satan like, has a little compassion here. Like, you don't attack little kids. Really? It was the little girl who's walking around annoying Paul. Like, we've got to be as biblical as the Bible is, right? We've got to let the Bible speak. 
Friends, we've had people be attacked in, in this church through dreams. I've heard that numerous times. And then just praying over them. If that's you, we want to pray for you today. If you just have, are tormented by repetitious dreams that just keep coming, or maybe last night, or things like that, we want to pray for you. Demonic attack is more common than we think. And let me just say, this category of demonic activity being in the norm will then change how we think about what entertains us, what we open our lives to. It's not just like, ha, 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 that thing on TV or that thing in social media or that thing we listen to in music. There are things that provide footholds of Satan. There are images you have a hard time getting out of your mind that we willingly expose ourselves to, thinking like, oh, it's not that big a deal. Maybe it is. Maybe it's the hook. We're the bait. Friends, let us not celebrate that which God opposes. Let us not be entertained by that which celebrates sin. We, we just can't get into the thought, well, just a little poison. I mean, just a little poison won't hurt us that much, will it? Friends, let's take this seriously. Fourth point, prayer and fasting should be regular parts of our spiritual battle. In Mark chapter 9, right as Jesus and Peter and James and John come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, we find the frustrated disciples, because there's a demon-possessed boy, and the disciples are not able to cast out the demon. Now, there's an, several interesting things we could draw. I'm just going to draw out two things. One is just the prayer of faith in this moment. When Jesus confronts those disciples, he says, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. So there's this, this faith that the disciples are to have as they're praying over this little child. The second important part of the story of that demon-possessed boy is that Jesus' letter says to them, this kind of demon cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and a lot of... Um, a lot of texts say, and fasting. Like there, there's something about prayer and fasting that are weapons in the spiritual warfare. Personally, I've noticed when I'm fasting, there's often a sharper discernment and maybe even a greater power in the prayer. I don't get it. I don't know how that works. I don't have a, a mathematical equation, but I've seen it, experienced that, know others who have. Well, you may be wondering what happened with that lady as the British pastor preached and the lady started shrieking and withering and the people started praying over her. After about 10 minutes of prayer and they rebuked the demon in Jesus' name, the woman yelled out, the demon seemed to come out. However, the pastor had a concern that there was more than one demon. So, a few folks took her off to a side room to continue to pray for her, and he continued his sermon, which just made me laugh. Like, if that happened, and you know, like, shriek, we go to the side room, all right, let's go, let's keep going. Like, okay, we're going to study God's Word. This is real stuff. After the service, about four or five people stayed and prayed for that lady, and it seemed that some more demons came out. This lady was delivered, but the sad thing was that the church 
did not have a culture of understanding someone can be taunted by a demon. And so the lady was thoroughly embarrassed and left the church. She was afraid that people would look down on her. And the pastor called this quote an indictment of our church. And then he said this, the quote's on the screen, we were so respectable that people who were really in trouble would not come to us. Friends, let us not be so respectable that we just live a fake Western life that believes, no, this doesn't really happen. Friends, we want a culture in this church where we're not surprised or embarrassed by demonic attack. We actually assume it's going to happen. Where if someone has something crazy happen to them, we love them through it. We care for them, we pray for them, we fast for them, and we claim them in the name of Jesus. We want to extend love and mercy and gentleness that we've received throughout our lives. The summary of this is this. As we biblically understand the spiritual realm, we will increasingly have courage to fight the enemy. Oh, friends, let us have courage. We will trust in the power of Jesus' name and be more discerning of evil influences around us. So Christopher's going to come, and we're just going to have some time of prayer, friends. I think it would behoove us to have a time of prayer. And friends, if you, if you struggle with like dreams that you just feel like you've been attacked in, or if there's just battle, and I would just say, let's talk about the ordinary, like marriage, parenting, uh, workplace. Those are categories that Paul seems to have in mind in Ephesians chapter 6. If that's something for you, we want to we pray for you. And you may be like, I'm not sure if this, if this is demonic attack or not. That's probably where most of us are. We're not always sure. You may be like very sure. We for sure want to pray for you. But even if you're not sure, we want to pray for one another. And friends, before you receive prayer because you think there's something going on, I would just ask you, based on these texts, that, that you also see if there's repentance that needs to happen. The world, the flesh, and the devil. There seems constantly when you're talking about people attack, there's also repentance that often needs to happen. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Like, that seems to go with resisting the devil. So let's pray, and let's not be surprised if the Lord, through the Spirit's like, yeah, there's, there's a way you open that, or there's ongoing anger or something in your head that God wants to do more than just have the demon flee. So let's stand together. And we're just going to, we do this a lot. We pray around each other. And I just encourage you to not be embarrassed, but to just, like, I need prayer. Like, you need prayer and deliverance more than you want to live with demonic attack. So if you just, like, I need prayer for this, we're going to have folks gather around you and, and just pray over you. And, and friends, there may be nothing crazy that happens, and you're like, huh, okay. Or there may be crazy that happens. Like, we're walking forward in faith in Jesus' name. That's our goal, is to honor Christ, not live a reputation that's somehow normal. This is normal, is battling for the Christian. So if that's you and you just want prayer, maybe the dreams or 
maybe just other normal parts of life. Could you slip your hand up and we want to pray for you? Samuel, got some. Okay, keep your hands up. Those who don't have your hand up, can you look around and gather around? There's a lot of different people that need prayer. Can you keep that hand up, hand up, hand up? All right, I need you to move around, people. <laughs> like, gather around. There's several people who are just like, they want prayer. Just keep those hands up because we have several more folks. We got some folks in the back, people over here. Haley, can you kind of move that way so people can gather around? Thank you. All right. Is there anybody who had their hand up that you don't have people with you? It's kind of hard to see. All right, we have some back here. You need more people? So the um, rights back there, can some people pray for them? And Rob, Robbie, was that you? Yeah. You got people praying? Oh, okay. Anybody else need more people praying? Okay, if, if you're comfortable, those who want prayer, if you can share with those around you uh, any specifics that you feel comfortable sharing, and then we just want to spend some time praying. And if there's any strangeness that happens, we're embracing it. I'll come your way, and several of us will too. Uh, and we're just going to pray in Jesus' name. So let me, let me start by praying, and then you guys can share. Lord, we pray in the powerful name of Jesus that the, the warrior who has the victory, we pray in his name. We pray in the name of Jesus who said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let's share and then spend some time praying for folks. Let's go in prayer. Father, we dedicate our lives to you. God, we are thankful for the sun that's risen in our lives. Christ the victor. And so, Lord, as we leave now and we enter the normal, where the attack is, Lord, I pray that we would battle by faith, I pray that we would battle with the armor of the Messiah. Lord, I pray that we would battle as a church family, united together, fighting the victorious fight that you allow us to be a part of. You, you transferred us from the domain of darkness. We were enemies of God. And you transferred us to the kingdom of the beloved Son. So, Lord, where there's any weight or despondency or unbelief, we pray that that would be gone in Jesus' name. And there would be belief and faith and hope and love that are stirred by your Spirit for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Thank you for ministering to one another, praying for one another. Continue praying for those people this week. 
If you feel called to fast for those people, I'd encourage you toward that um, this week um, as they're asking for prayer. If you need more prayer, we're not done. Like, we can keep praying, so please come up, or we'd love to have folks pray. Remember, we have D groups starting this week. Share with your D group what's going on in your life, too. They want to pray for you as well. Love you guys, and we will see you next Sunday.